Welcome to the Young IPA Podcast. I'm James. This is Pete. G'day, everyone. It is episode 136. It is the 21st of November. Big fun show for you, everyone coming up. We're going to be talking to... Should I announce it now? We'll wait, leave it. Leave it till uh, five minutes from now. Well, I don't know what you're announcing. Okay, so. <laughs> well then I'm going to keep it to myself. It's going to be my little secret to also Pete. Okay, uh, but we are going to be talking to Dr. Joe Kosterich because, uh, like, he this was a really fun interview. Mm. We're going to be talking a lot of public health, specifically in regards to vaping legislation in Australia and weed legalization in Australia. I think they're going to be huge debates coming up for the next couple of years to come. We yeah. talk about wanting to reduce smoking, and you know, then there's all these laws about uh, being able to sell vapes in Australia, and then weed legalization being in Canberra. What's that mean for the nation itself? Really fun chat. Goes to a lot of areas and uh, stuff. that I'll say it because it's going to be in the podcast description title. But we also got uh, Senator James Patterson coming on to quickly talk about what he went through with the whole. Uh, you know, he was invited to China, then the Chinese embassy said repent, like actually use the word repent mm. as if they. God, repent your views on China, and then you can come to our country. Uh, and he's not, and he refused to do so. So he explains why on the show, and also the amazing interview with Virginia Trioli. Mm. A few other shows, uh, a few other things we're going to be talking about in the show. But Pete, anything you're looking forward to? I liked the chat with Dr. Joe because he basically, my understanding of the chat we had was that you could do make any lifestyle choice you want, and it's going to be all right. Yep. So I appreciated that, and also I think he I, did tell us off air that like binge drinking wasn't as. <laughs> I don't. I don't, <laughs> wasn't I don't as recall as we that. Make it out to be. I don't call that aspect of it but um uh if it's and not also, on air, it doesn't matter exactly right yeah. and, and a, an amazing new segment that we've got post the interview which you have to stick around for because it's one of the most amazing things i've ever seen on television okay we're doing surprise we're doing surprise things i've got no idea what pete's talking about yeah so i'm uh, really looking forward to that uh but before we start the show uh i have an announcement to make Uh-oh. or a declaration if oh, you will no. i think it's silly season what do you mean by that? I So silly season is the moments in Australian politics where everything sort of grinds to a halt. And when I'm looking for stuff to talk about on the show this week, wasn't a whole lot. I think we've got a really fun show. There's, we've packed it in. Yeah. Prince Andrew, what an idiot. Yeah, keep listening. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't hang up. But I think it's silly season. Well, no, I mean, look, it's only November 21. Yeah. Uh, silly season does kick on. I know exactly what you're talking about. Nothing happens, but it doesn't start for a lot later than this young fella. Yes. You still have a number of weeks left of work to do. <laughs> Don't you take your foot off the accelerator. I'm not taking it. No, I'm going to push it even harder because I want to give these people the show they deserve. <laughs> the show they need. But when Israel Folau saying that the bushfires are sent by God and that's yeah. like news for like three or four days, we're in silly season. I don't know, man. I don't know. All right, fine. Uh, but we do want to talk about one thing. China, specifically James Patterson and Andrew Hasty, having their... Uh, well, we've actually got the guy on the thing. We, we thought, how do we want to talk about this? Why don't we just talk about to the man involved? Senator James Patterson, welcome to the show. Always good to be on the show with you guys. Brilliant. Uh, so you and Andrew Hasty were going to go on a study tour to China and tell us what happened after that. Well, we're invited by an organisation called China Matters, which is an Australian organisation that promotes the relationship between Australia and China. And they invited us in full knowledge that we were highly critical of the Chinese Communist Party, but hoping that we would learn more about uh, China on the trip. And we accepted on that basis. Uh, they were informed subsequently uh, by the Chinese embassy that both Andrew and I were not welcome in China at this time. And just in case it wasn't sufficiently clear, uh, the Chinese embassy put out a media statement saying that we needed to repent our views on the <laughs> Chinese Communist Party. So what, what are those views? What were you being asked to repent about? Well, Andrew and I have been critical of a range of things of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, most importantly, the way in which they've encroached upon Australian sovereignty and the way in which they have affected the interests of Australians. Like the Australian citizen, for example, who's detained there right now on spurious charges of espionage, uh, who's been detained without access to a lawyer, without access to his family, initially without charge, who's been interrogated on a daily basis and, and chained, physically chained. Um, but also the plight of the Uyghur uh, people in Xinjiang province, uh, the situation in Hong Kong, their treatment of Tibet, their treatment uh, of Taiwan, their militarisation of the South China Sea. Uh, these are big issues which all Australians should be concerned about and Australian parliamentarians need the freedom of speech to be able to speak about, um, but China does not welcome that. Uh, interesting that you used the word that you were encouraged to repent about this because repent was also the word used by Virginia Trioli when she interviewed you about this on her show. Pete and I heard this interview. It blew our minds. I think we've got a clip of it right now. Yep. I'm certainly not going to be repenting my political views on the command of an authoritarian foreign power. 
I guess that's just the problem. If you start describing China as an authoritarian foreign power when they're supposed to be our close trading partner and when, as your treasurer Josh Frydenberg says, we must manage our differences, you're actually part of the problem, aren't you? What about my description do you think is inaccurate? So, James, do you think you are actually part of the problem? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, no, I don't. And I think actually it's attitudes like that from Virginia Trioli that's the problem. Uh, I mean, a taxpayer-funded journalist on our public broadcaster thinks that there's something problematic about correctly identifying that China is an authoritarian government uh, and that they've abused human rights. And I'm not going to lie about those things uh, to earn the approval of the Chinese Communist Party or Virginia Trioli. Oh, actually, I really enjoyed that bit because often, you know, politicians are on the back foot from journos, but I just loved you uh, responding to a question with a question, (laughs) what about my thing was uh, incorrect, Virginia. So that was great. If you get an opportunity, do listen to that. Uh, What I want to say, though, is like... If Virginia Giolli is saying, uh, look, China's a very important training partner, they, we shouldn't be criticize, criticizing them like this, you should repent, does that mean uh, Virginia Giolli is also completely out on any criticism of Donald Trump? Because the US is also a pretty important training partner. Yeah, exactly. And where, where does this lead us? I mean, basically, we should say nothing at all about what's happening around the world. You know, we should be completely silent about these things. That, that's the problem with um, some of these worldviews that you get from the ABC from time to time, sadly. I have to say, other interviews I've done on the ABC have not been like that at all. They've understood the seriousness of this. Um, but whatever you think of me and whatever you think of Andrew Hastie, democratically elected rep- representatives of the Australian government have been raising issues in our national interest and in the def- defence of human rights, and, a, and an authoritarian foreign government has banned us from visiting. That's not a good thing and shouldn't be a good thing in anyone's book. But the last person banned from visiting uh, China was a German... Greens politician who was banned for raising the plight of the Uyghurs. Does Virginia Shirley also think they should have been silent? Absolutely. Uh, so, James, we just only wanted to grab you on to talk about this story. Th- thank you so much for joining us. It is so great that, uh, you know, you've, like, been told by the Chinese government to repent for this and you're just straight up refusing to do it. Uh, so, really great to talk to you and keep up the good work. Pleasure, guys. Thank you. Thanks, mate. All right, uh, Pete, before we get into heroes and villains, yep. uh, I thought we should just use off the back of that P- Patterson interview, what is our official podcast position? Like if we were offered James Patterson and Andrew Hastie's yeah. uh, seats to go learn about China on that study trip, but we'd have to repent the things that we've said about China, uh, uh, what's our official podcast look, position? I, I love Are we refusing the invitation? No, I mean, I, I mean, I love a free trip as much as anyone and a yeah. bit of a junket, but not that, not that that's what they do as a study tour. But uh, I've never been on a junket. I'd like to go. I'm not going to do well, it on a China we one. We made that video about Cambodia a few years ago. That was it? not a junket. Well, we yeah, worked pretty hard. We did make a video. But anyway, no, I wouldn't go, obviously, if they asked me to retract things I've said about them. Yes. So, But we're open to junkets, mm. but just not from foreign Yeah, look, if anyone's got one out there and they, they want to do it. I'd go, yeah. J-Bold. Taiwan, Japan. Anywhere. <laughs> Vietnam, I'd New go. Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> send it in. All right, sweet. Uh, all right, so let's get into the Heroes and Villains segment. So this is for people that don't know. Uh, basically, well, self-explanatory. The Grant the Pig Freedom Snort uh, for people. <laughs> oh, there, there it is. is. He's back. Uh, He's back after <laughs> his Gold Coast ex- escapade. Yeah, so that's uh, the Snort of Freedom. That's what we give to people that have stood up for freedom this week. Pete, hit us. Who well, is your hero this week? This is a pretty obvious one, and I'm sure he'll be uh, named a hero again. But my hero for freedom this week is Jeremy Corbyn. Mm-hmm. Jeremy Corbyn wow. tweeted on Monday. Uh, just for the record, uh, as he informed Pink News, that's Jeremy Corbyn, he slash him. So that's right. Just for any pronouns that you need to uh, use for the rest of it, make sure they're he and him. If you're wondering what Jeremy Corbyn's pronouns are, that's what they are. He tweeted on Monday, if I was proposing the creation of our NHS today, the National Health Service in Britain, the Conservatives would call it health communism. And I say, Jeremy, for calling that out, you are my freedom winner this week. Now, let me run through a few stats for you. The Guardian Guardian reported yesterday, nine out of 10 hospital bosses in England fear understaffing will harm their patients' health. A&E waiting times are their worst since 2004. And apparently, this is a bit of a rumour that was in The Guardian, uh, Boris Johnson said to a hospital boss the other day that he would provide funding for outdoor canopies under which patients could queue. Sounds a lot like communism to me, Jeremy. Thank Actual you. bread lines. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's right. Uh, and so by comparison, the man had an institute in the United... I'm not worried oh. about data. <laughs> what that, the I don't hell know what was that, that was? That was Saul playing up. 
I said he'd... Uh, he's I'm just glad that person's not worried about data. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, right. that's what I'm thankful for. She's not. Anyway, so the Manhattan Institute in the United States said that mortality rates for uh, comparable events in the US are often a fraction of what they are in the UK. Yep. The uh, uh, US obviously having a bit of a free market system. 39% of British rates following a stroke and 72% of British rates following a heart attack. There are also four times as many hospitals per capita. Everyone agrees that free markets are good for building red Ferraris, plasma TVs, iPhones, but for really important stuff like health and education, for some reason, people think they want to go back to socialism. Well, so for Jeremy Corbyn, for calling that out, you're my hero this week. Well, very good. Uh, so uh, my hero on the same sort of wavelength as uh, surprising heroes of the week is yeah. ABC staff. Uh, and this is for... Well, basically, they're sowing their own discord. Like, usually it falls to me and Pete to sow discord among ABC staff and get them distracted. <laughs> Is that what we <laughs> And uh, call, uh, you know, bring in the big guns to bring them back to editorial guidelines. Yeah. They seem to be doing it themselves. So this was a report coming out of The Australian this week that Melbourne-based ABC producer and presenter Barbara Hagen wrote a uh, bulk email to everyone, which is already a questionable move. But uh, sorry for the bulk email, so at least she's apologising for it. Because you know, if there's an email with more than 13 recipients, yeah. you know someone's going to reply all just saying yes, yeah. and then I have to deal with that email as well. But anyway, yeah. not the point. Is that why she's hero? Uh, <laughs> sending bulk emails, slowing everyone down, clogging up inboxes. Anyway, sorry for the bulk email, but I'm reaching out to gauge interest in forming an ABC staff climate crisis yeah. advisory group. Right. Uh, Miss Hagen writes that the aim of the group would be to gather the brain's trust of ABC staffers to develop ways to report on and inform Australians about the climate crisis using a solutions journalism approach. Mm. Uh, now, the ABC not usually accustomed to using a journalistic approach when in discussing climate change, yeah. so I'm glad they're committing to that. But like, I think you know, the obvious joke they're all making is like, there wasn't enough. Yeah. <laughs> like there wasn't enough ABC coverage on climate change. Your billion-dollar propaganda machine isn't yeah. enough. Anyway, the problem is for them that a change in policy on climate change reporting, which is you know like uh, the solutions journalism approach and what that would probably mean, mm. the change in policy on climate change reporting could represent a significant departure from current ABC editorial guidelines. Now, in the guidelines, they have to show both sides. They don't <laughs> you know, do not state or imply any perspective as the editorial opinion of the ABC. The ABC takes no editorial stance other than its commitment to fundamental democratic principles. Uh, now, so in the email of we need to tell the people exactly what's going on and this is what we think is going on, therefore that is exactly what's going on. Mm. Like they're doing their own work for us. Mm. Uh, do, they're doing our work for us, which is always awesome. But uh, like <laughs> they, like actual paper trails of people just wantonly going like, yeah, but we don't need to maintain editorial guidance. We just need to oh, so that's why panic. I was wondering where the hero was coming from. So you're saying this is just making life easy for us. Yes. Because like we don't even have to like do a freedom of information request. We've got it right right there in the Australian. Well, that, uh, that's so true. That is why they're the hero of the week for me. Oh, very good. As long as they're not critical of China, it's all right with me. Okay, good. Uh, now let's move over to the villains. This is the Walter Peck, uh, that guy, uh, <laughs> villainy award. The people that have stood up against freedom. And yep. Pete, uh, you've nailed a pretty damn good one, if I may say. Well, this is the college, the universities and colleges union in the United Kingdom. And who's that? I hear you ask. That is the biggest tertiary and higher further education union in the world wow in the whole world 120,000 members they put out a uh, petition paper whatever that is called ucu position on trans inclusion during the week it stated that the ucu has a long history of enabling members to self-identify whether that is being black disabled lgbt or women so basically what that means is the according to this mob whose name i've just forgotten the ucu uh you can say you're black yep. even if you're not and that's meant to be good for... Great uh, news for Elizabeth Warren. That's great. Well, yeah, great news for Elizabeth Warren. Now, I've got a few examples of this happening. Last November, Anthony Lennon, a white theatre director... This with, is amazing. ...with, with <laughs> Irish parents, yeah. uh, announced that he was black. He says that he's an African born again and that he uh, secured public funding for his... Uh, productions yeah uh on the back of uh, that's intended to help ethnic minorities in their stage careers yeah so that's that's great uh, but he's born again he's born Apparently again it's a religion african. yeah um, i once was lost and now i'm african yeah <laughs> yeah so rachel dolezal uh desire uh, resigned as official of uh as an official with the what's that sorry dolezal I think. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. good. That's why I kept you around, James. Thank you. With the National Association for the Advancement of Coloured People after her white parents disputed that she was black. Uh, look, I don't know how a trade union's meant to decide if someone's black or not. It's pretty tricky and it's a pretty yeah. icky question. Maybe we don't really need to hear from a trade union about that. I just really like to hear... Uh 
you know, you've got like, <laughs> you know, you've got a white guy going up like, hey, I've lived my whole life as a white guy, but mm. last night I decided to become a born again African mm. and now I know my people struggle. Like, yeah. I, I now identify with all of the things we've had to go through over yeah. the centuries yeah. uh, just on one night of yeah. uh, searching around my head. Exactly right. And they've put out- like, That's got to be patronizing for everyone else. Like, yeah, you, you don't exactly. know what it's like. Yeah, exactly. And they've put out this paper to help people, but they've failed. Exactly. All right. Uh, my villain this week, Elizabeth Banks. So you might've seen, uh, I haven't, but some people might've seen trailers for the new movie, Charlie's Angels. Uh, that came out to very little fanfare and the ratings have not been good. And um, normally might just say, you know, sometimes movies are bad. Okay. And, <laughs> like, yeah. and often with uh, rebooted movie franchises, they're very bad. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Elizabeth Banks, the film director, people might know her work on like Pitch Perfect. Uh, and she's a Scrubs alumni, so I can't be too mad at her. Anyone that was on Scrubs is always going to be a friend of mine. Yeah. Okay. Um, but anyway, so people are bringing out, uh, like, reviewing this interview she gave to the Herald Sun here in Melbourne, where she said uh, how much pressure this movie's on. She says, look, people have to buy tickets to this movie. This movie has to make money. If this movie does make money, it reinforces a stereotype in Hollywood that men don't go see women do action movies. Okay. Uh, they'll go see a comic book movie with Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel because that's a male genre. So even though those are movies about women, they put them in the context of feeding the larger comic book world. So it's all about, you know, and then goes on to say, like, uh, how... Wonder Woman and and uh, Captain Marvel are actually male movies, which uh, is very surprising it's for anyone that actually watched the movies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, your movie just stunk. I'm like, you know, you've made some good movies, you made Scrubs, but this movie stunk. So you're, what you're saying, this has already come out. This has come out. And it's fine. It's uh, not getting any money at the box office. The ratings on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes are very middling to be fair, to okay. be kind. Uh, and it's not the fault that men don't want to see female-driven superhero movies because of Wonder Woman, because of Captain Marvel. You can also talk about Hunger Games. Uh, the list goes on. Oh, the previous Charlie's Angels movies did very well. Yeah. So there's that. And also, like, Charlie's Angels being four women. We sure about that? What do you mean? Like, uh, I, you've seen two movies in your lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the original Charlie's Angels. Uh, as in not Farrah the original. <laughs> no, or no, the, the Drew Barrymore and Cameron The second Diaz. original one. Now, do you reckon that was made for women or do you reckon that was made for men? Uh, I can't remember. I reckon that was made for both leaning towards men, but oh, okay. I'm so not exactly saying- chalking that up as the uh, you know the Wonder Woman of previous years yeah, would okay. be my thing. So I, I just reckon, yeah, Elizabeth, in her defence, we've all been at work. We yep. realised something that we've done isn't as good as we'd hoped it would, and we've blamed men. And we started to pad a little bit with the expectations. <laughs> yeah. Started to spread the blame. Not that I've ever yeah. done that, but I'm thinking, you know, like Saul does it all the time, for example. Yeah. But yeah, and I she's done she's a done good done one it. of like uh, blaming someone that isn't a singular person. She's mm. just blamed men. Yeah, so the, the blame can be spread out among a wide field yeah. and no one can be like, actually it wasn't me. Yeah. They can talk about what it was me in a sense. Yeah. All right. Uh, so that's the villain for this week. Uh, let's now go to the interview with Dr. Joe. Yeah. Okay, we now welcome on to the show Dr. Joe Kosterich. Now, Joe, I love your Twitter feed because you're a public, uh, sorry, you're a professional doctor. You want to help people live better. You want to, uh, you know, help enrich lives, uh, but you're fighting against a number of public health campaigns. So, what, why is that? Um, look, that's a really nice sort of simple question to start to start out with. Um, look, ultimately, it's about the individual being in charge of their own health. And um, public health messages have their role, but they're often one size fits all, and they're not necessarily applicable to everybody. And they're often, unfortunately, wrong. Um, in particular, um, for example, we see a lot of obesity, overweight and type 2 diabetes in society today. This has come about after the introduction of low-fat dietary guidelines. So everybody was told to, to eat the way the experts told us. People have done that. You can see the consequences. Do they admit they're wrong? You know, unfortunately not. Um, in, for example, uh, we'll probably be talking a bit more about vaping later. We see in international jurisdictions that uh, small smoking rates are falling in the US, in the UK, in the EU, uh, in Japan, where they have a, something called IQOS, which is related. Um, and in Australia, we stick our fingers in our ears and go, la, 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 la. So, uh, you know, I suppose personally, when I look at people that I'm seeing each day who are trying to do the best with their health and they're getting advice that really is not suitable for them, then, look, I suppose it's a matter of making it uh, in your own way, trying to make a bit of a stand and, uh, and help those people and challenge um, the, uh, the unaccountable and, and unelected bureaucrats who often make these edicts. 
So, Dr. Joe, uh, now Gideon Rosner, the a person here at the IPA, brought us to you, or brought you to us. Do some of his health decisions, do they, do they worry you, some of the decisions Gideon makes about his body and things like that? Um, look, I've got to say I'm not Gideon's doctor, so I don't actually know what he does. Um, <laughs> Are you familiar with whiskey? Yes. Um, look, he needs it's, help. It's, <laughs> put it this way, ultimately every person is responsible for their own, their own health and they have to make their own decisions and part of that means living with the, the consequences. So is it a problem to have a, a glass of whiskey or a glass or two of wine with, you, with your dinner? The answer to that is no. Is there an amount of alcohol that is damaging to our health? The answer to that is yes, there is. And if you drink that amount on a consistent basis, then you will end up with uh, with problems. Is it a good idea to smoke? Absolutely not. We know that it's associated with a, with a number of illnesses. Um, is it a good idea to do some exercise because we know that regular exercise is good for your health? Yes, it is. Now, if people know all of that and in full knowledge make their own decisions, then look, at the end of the day, this is where I think there is a difference between respect for the individual and trying to impose on the individual and I think we should uh, you know allow people to make their own decisions but make those decisions based on you know useful practical and um, I suppose factual information and that also means that what we know today might be different to what we knew 10 years ago and it might be different again another 10 years time but um, look Gideon like you like me like everybody else has to make their decisions and and uh, um, I suppose, see what happens as a consequence of those decisions. <laughs> yeah, sure. All right. Uh, now, you brought up before vaping, and this is like, we got, I've got two things we want to talk about. So there's going to be vaping and then medicinal cannabis at the end. But vaping is, for me, like the big public health thing for the next couple of years. And as you point out, in places where vaping uh, gets deregulated and people can buy it, smoking rates fall. In Australia, yeah. we're dragging our feet. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's still, like, where is vaping right now? Mm. Uh, look, it's where it's always been, and it's in this. It, it, it is technically illegal, although there is a loophole. Now, um, I, th- I suppose for people who might not be familiar with vaping and wondering what are we talking about, it's uh, inhaling nicotine liquid rather than burning tobacco. Now, vast basically people smoke because they want some nicotine. Um, and it, it, you know, people. Some people say it look, makes them a little bit less stressed. Some people make it says it makes them feel better. Most people smoke um, because they started at some point and they can't actually quit. Most smokers actually would want to quit. Some don't, um, but they can't. And they've tried all the, the methods. And our rates of smoking in this country have pretty much flatlined since 2013. And that's despite Australia having plain packaging and having the highest per stick cigarette prices in the in the world. Um, and some people you know, actually do just enjoy nicotine. It's a terrible thing to say because it's all sort of you know, politically incorrect, but it's true. So when people vape, they're getting nicotine, which is not of itself a carcinogen. So it's not nicotine that causes lung cancer. It's not nicotine that causes throat cancer or heart disease or any of these other problems. It is a whole host of chemicals released by burning and combusting tobacco. So when you extract the nicotine, put it into a liquid form, people use that. Firstly, there's no smoke, so there's no secondhand smoke. And number two, whilst it is is not harmless, and I, and I really want to be very clear that people who don't smoke at all should not be taking up vaping, um, but for those who do, it is a far less harmful option. Mm. So there's places overseas where this is legal. Mm. So what, what if, if you can see it improving health in those places, why does it seem to take so long for us out here? Yeah, and that's, again, a, an excellent question. And, and to be honest, uh, uh, you know, I have to declare I'm, uh, I'm the chairman of the Board of ATRA, which is Australian Tobacco Harm Reduction Association. Look, I think if we knew the answer in this country, we, we probably wouldn't be having these debates still. There is unfortunately in health a lot of ideology and there are a lot of people in the tobacco, um, in in the quit space and the anti-tobacco and tobacco control lobbies who have invested their whole lives in being anti the tobacco industry. And I get that and, you know, fair enough and uh, and I sympathise with that. However, this is not about the tobacco industry. This is about individual people trying to reduce their harm. So somewhere along the line, it's morphed from being, what can we do to get people to stop smoking? And it's somehow gotten into, what can we do that is perceived as being harmful to the, to the tobacco industry? And those two things might have an overlap, but they're not the same. Mm. Now, because uh, some of the tobacco companies have moved into the space, and in Australia, their percentage of the market is, is, is minimal, um, it's seen as a big tobacco conspiracy and plot. Um, whereas in actual fact, it is, um, you know, it basically is a potential solution to the problem that these people are trying to combat. But uh, look, there's a lot of egos invested. There's a lot of history in, in all of this. And ultimately, it's, ide- you know, it's, it's ideologically driven, a lot of it. Because if you look at the science, if you look at the science, according to Public Health England, 
Mm-hmm. Vaping is at least 95% less harmful than smoking. Now, yeah. you'll see that figure questioned, and I'm yet to hear anybody who questions it or, or criticises that figure come up with another one. Let's assume it's 50%. Yeah, but let's yeah, say that they're really out by a massive amount. It's only 50% less. How can 50% less harmful be a bad thing? And shouldn't it be... Should it be more difficult to buy a less harmful option than a more harmful option? You can buy nicotine patches at the supermarket. Mm. Now, you can go to Woolies or Coles and buy nicotine patches without a prescription, Just not even at the chemist, at the supermarket. So if nicotine was that harmful, how come we allow that? Or chewing gums or sprays. Um, put it into a liquid, um, all of a sudden we, we have this enormous problem with it. Yeah, um, so a quick case study. Like With my friends, I have a lot of friends who are, were smokers and they got together to buy a bunch of vapes from overseas, get it over to Australia. Mm-hmm. And because it was so like, and they all quit smoking for a while based on that, but because it was so hard to do it again, a lot of them have gone back to actual smoking cigarettes. And you just think like, how is that the journey we want these people to take? And that is a terrible outcome. Yeah. And that is, that is really the worst outcome. And that's what we're seeing in this country. Um, and ultimately, if one has a prescription from a doctor for nicotine liquid, then it can be legally imported for personal use from overseas. But most people don't know that, and most doctors don't know that, and most doctors would be a little bit sort of wary and reticent. There are a couple, and I don't want to give any names uh, on in a, in a public domain, but there are a couple of uh, businesses, one that is uh, domiciled in New Zealand, because New Zealand has, has legalised for vaping and actually actively promoting it. Not only is it now legal, the New Zealand Health Department is encouraging people to switch to vaping. In particular, they're encouraging uh, the Maori population because rates of smoking in there are much higher than the general population. In Australia, we know that in Indigenous populations, the rates of smoking are a lot higher. And these people have a shorter life expectancy. And what are we doing? We're basically putting barriers in their path. Now, uh, over in the US, vaping is uh, a bit of a different one. And the debate that made its way all the way to Donald Trump was that three people died from smoking THC-related vapes. Uh, I can, like, immediately, like we said, if it was 50% healthier, like, a lot more than people than three died from smoking tobacco last year. But, like, it just seems to be these three deaths are different. And then the reports come out that they all bought those vaping on, uh, sorry, those vapes on the black market. So wouldn't further banning drive more people to the black market that actually killed those people? Yeah. And um, look, to, to summarise that, I mean, we've got a cup here. Yeah. If I put water into Hang that cup... Podcast more. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, a bit of product placement there. Yeah, yeah. If I put water into that cup and drink it, that's all, that's all good. I'll, I'll have some water. That's fine. If I put arsenic into that cup and drink it, it's probably not going to end very well for me. So the argument then becomes drinking from a cup is deadly. So yes, those deaths in America, and it's a, you know, it is a real concern there, have come because people have used illicit, so this is illegally purchased THC, that has also been diluted with vitamin E oil. So you've got these sort of cartridges that have started their lives in China, have been imported into Los Angeles. They go through a whole sort of black market system. People who are selling illegal THC um, are obviously trying to increase their profit margins so they can dilute it with vitamin E oil. And because vitamin E oil has a similar viscosity to THC oil, the the customer doesn't think they're being duped. Um, And this vitamin E oil and illicit THC has caused significant damage to some people's lungs. And that's, that's a terrible situation. And lack of, of regulation um, and, you know, black market, as, as you rightly said, drives this sort of thing. But it's not that it was vaped. So nobody, nobody has died from vaping nicotine. One exception, somebody had a dodgy device and it exploded. So again, problems of the, of the black market. But there have been no deaths from, nic- from vaping nicotine liquid. In much the same way, there's no deaths from drinking water out of a, out of a cup. But if you put poison into a cup and drink it, yeah. it's not the cup that's the problem. It's the liquid that you've put into it. Same with these deaths in the US. And that 100% brings it back to ideology. Because if you're going purely fact-based outcomes, you want people off the black market. But if you, you, know, if you ban it, and it exists, there will be a black market. Like in any particular industry in the world, that is always the case and vaping won't be any different. Look, it isn't. And you see people vaping in in Australia. And, um, you know, clearly prohibition doesn't tend to work terribly well. The, um, so for those people who figured their way around the the system, you know, they've gone online, they've done what they need to, to do. Some of them may be technically um, in breach of the laws. Others may have gone through, and there are, as I mentioned, some legal channels, difficult but uh, but doable. The people who really 
probably don't do that are not the people up and down Collins Street or Pitt Street or, or St George's Terrace in Perth who are, you know, probably got a few dollars in, in their pocket, probably reasonably well educated, you know, have the resources. Um, people with mental health problems where we know that something like 80% plus smoke and a lot of those people do, particularly with schizophrenia because nicotine has a, you know, to them a perceived beneficial effect. We know Indigenous populations, as I mentioned, homeless people, um, very high, high rates of smoking in, uh, in lower SES areas and amongst single mothers. These people probably aren't going online and doing clever things. Not saying that they haven't got the intelligence to do it, but they just don't have the resources or, or the wherewithal. Mm. These are the people who the bans on vaping harm the most. It's not the people in Leichhardt. It's not the people in Fitzroy. Um, it's these people who don't get seen by the elites in their ivory towers who suffer. But they're out of sight and, uh, and out of mind. Mm, brilliant. Uh, so I want to move on now to um, medicinal cannabis, which is what you're in Melbourne for. You're speaking in a conference about it. Now, the cannabis debate, and it flared up when Canberra sort of re uh, relaxed a few of the laws in Canberra around it. Uh, and cannabis to me is such an interesting area. I was listening to the Joe Rogan podcast with Malcolm Gladwell, and shockingly enough, drugs came up on the Joe Rogan podcast. But Malcolm Gladwell asked, like, if you only had the facts in front of you, you didn't have any societal stigmas, you only just had the facts in front of you, and you're building a new society. And of the three things like uh, alcohol, cannabis, and smoking, mm. which one would be the most regulated if you just remove stigma? And uh, I don't know which would be the most regulated, but based on the like the facts that are out there, surely cannabis would be the least regulated for the effect it has on people's lives, for the effect it has on crime, for the effect it has on life expectancy. So why does this stigma exist so much? How many years have we got again? Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so having um, uh, looked a little bit into the history of this, but also having listened to people who've delved a lot more into the history, use of cannabis in human society dates back quite a few thousand years, and it seems to be in a whole host of different cultures and, uh, and countries, and was used for medical purposes up until the 1920s and 30s. In fact, it was only removed from the American pharmacopoeia in about 1942. And the uses for medicinal cannabis in those days were pretty much the same as what it's being used for again today, which is and includes chronic pain, uh, multiple sclerosis, spasticity, um, some forms of epilepsy, uh, nausea and vomiting associated with chemotherapy and, and cancer. Um, so when you look at why did it become illegal and why the stigma, it really appears to have a lot to do with probably two things in my opinion. One is race relations in the United States and a contemporary of, uh, of uh, J. Edgar Hoover, most people have heard of him, was a fellow called Harry J. Anslinger, who was the head of the um, Federal Bureau of Narcotics, the forerunner to the DEA. And he had a particular view that the use of cannabis, and he coined the term marijuana to make it sound Mexican. So, you know, some things haven't changed. Um, so he coined that term to make it sound like it was foreign and um, put out, he, he stated to Congress that the use of marijuana will make the black man feel he's as good as the white man. I mean, obviously you couldn't say that these days, but that's what he said. And people can, this is actual testimony to Congress and that it will cause white women to want to have sexual relations with, uh, with African-Americans, using that term in those days. And he was very persuasive and, and drove those arguments against, at that time, the attitude of the American Medical Association, who argued that it should, should continue to be used. And obviously in the 30s, um, prohibition of alcohol was ending. Uh, Anslinger came from a prohibition background. A whole lot of people looking for something to do. Uh, if you're in the prohibition business and suddenly you're out of work, Prohibition is a good industry to get into. Let's prohibit something else. And there was a fictitious film that came out called Reefer Madness. It was a, it was a Hollywood movie. Um, and that also gained some traction that, uh, you know, there's all these terrible effects from cannabis. Now, a bit like alcohol, if you have a glass or, or two, then it's not going to be a problem. If people use uh, particularly high formulation THC illicitly, consistently, then, yeah, there are going to be some, some problems with that. Medicinal is very and completely, and I really want to underline this, completely different to recreational use. Right. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, so we, me and James talked about that when they made those changes to the ACT laws, how only politicians say cannabis. So thanks for clearing that up for us about how that came about. Uh, we'll just quickly, you've seen, you've been, you've been watching these things for a while. Do you see that happening in other states as well? What happened in the ACT? Yeah. Um, look, if one looks internationally, in uh, Canada, they've had medicinal cannabis since the early 2000s. Last year, they legalised uh, for recreational cannabis. In the United States, which is the home of the, the war on drugs, it remains illegal federally, but I think there are now 12 states 
which have legal uh, recreational cannabis. There are now 47 states that have legalised medicinal cannabis in some form. Some it's CBD or cannabidiol only, some it's full medicinal cannabis. New Zealand is going to a referendum next year about legalisation. Um, it's probable that at some point in the future uh, that Australia may well decide to go down that path. Um, and I suspect that the different states may look at it. So I don't see anything immediately on the agenda, no. Okay. Right. Um, but if you sort of say, well, what might happen in 10 or 20 years' time? Uh, look, again, if you look around the world, you can sort of see there is a movement towards freeing up um, restrictions around cannabis use. But I, again, I really want to emphasise that that's not sort of a discussion at the moment, really. The, the, the main issue at the moment is, is access to medicinal cannabis, and that is a completely different beast. All right, brilliant. Uh, so, Dr Joe Kosterich, where can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, look, they can get on to uh, Dr Joe's DIY Health. If they go to the website, drjoe.net.au, you can sort of find me on the, mm. the usual social medias. Okay, brilliant. Any medical Th questions? Just fire them in. <laughs> All right, fire them in. All right, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Very welcome. Okay, we've got another round of the Young IPA yeah. podcast quiz. Hey, what did we miss? Uh, we have returning champion Patrick Hannafin. Howdy. There's your crown. There's your crown. Putting that on right. his head. Uh, Gideon speak. Rosner, the IPA's director of policy. Good Welcome to, to the show. Off, Great to be here. And uh, we also have uh, Peter Gregory here again. As always. As always. <laughs> I'm this week. All right, sweet. Uh, now, but. Before we start the quiz, we have to deal with some of the uh, fallout yes. from last week. Now, yeah, last week, Patrick Hatterford uh, questioned the Who Am I section, saying <laughs> that Milton Friedman was not an uh, advisor of Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan. He was undoubtedly incorrect about that yep. uh, uh, from numerous amount of sources. Mm -hmm. How do you feel? Uh, very sorry, Bolt. Well, and yet he still won the quiz. He still won the quiz. Yeah. I have to give it got, to the I got right a, for winner. A little over over the top in my uh, in <laughs> so, my assumption so, of my knowledge. So bring out the guillotine. <laughs> No, no but we do have an actual punishment. Uh, last week on the quiz, it was uh, sorry. On the rest of the show, it was decided that uh, you would have to kiss the ring. And uh, what I have on my finger right now is a ring that I bought from Party <laughs> and You about half an hour ago. That is now, a Pat, lovely ring. You can either sub washed. out the crown. And wear the Duns hat for the rest of it, or just one kiss of the ring. I'd kiss the kiss ring. ring. Just kiss the ring. Just smooch. Lovely ring. You bought oh, it. Oh my god, it's actually doing it. He didn't want to do it. Kiss it. it. Oh, oh, no. The crown. the crown anyway. Oh, I can't believe he actually oh, did that. Oh, what a moment. Can I get that gift and then just send to me as like a yeah. for my private collection? All right. Uh, let's get into the quiz. He's going to keep his mouth shut this week. Question one: What program was Prince Andrew's now infamous interview on? What was the program's name? No, oh, I actually don't know. Oh, you don't. You lose your point points. Oh, well. Point off. Interesting. I, I, I have no idea. I just know it was on TV. Well, I need something a bit more specific than that. Oh, so it on. was a BBC Newsnight. Oh, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to get started. <laughs> you kiss the ring now. Nah, We're all kissing the ring. All right. Uh, what did Josh Frydenberg call an economic time bomb this oh, Gideon. week? Gideon got there first. Uh, the aging of the population. The Australia's aging population. Will this end all the right. world's first OK Boomer Act? So sorry. The OK Boomer Act. Oh. Anyway, uh, okay. we'll, we'll yeah. keep moving. So I'm, not, I'm not familiar with that term. Uh, um, yeah. That's really struggling with the crown. <laughs> it's gone to the next level now. Uh, Heavy hangs the head. Uh, it does. All right, question three. What had more people tune in uh, game one of the baseball world's... That bloke farting. <laughs> we'll get to that. Oh, we're doing that joke. next. We'll stay tuned for that, people. Stay, stay tuned for that. So is that right? So does uh, he lose no, a point? What, uh, it does, actually, yeah. Um, <laughs> you mean I'm incorrect. I'll, I'll point it. Uh, what had more people tune in? Game one of the Baseball World Series or day one of the impeachment trial? Ooh. Gideon. Gideon. I'm guessing the World Series. You'd be incorrect about that. Oh! Roof, roof seal. <laughs> no, but it was so boring. Yeah, actually, no, to the victor goes spoils. Uh, the impeachment thing. The impeachment thing is oh. correct. More people tune in for day one of impeachment than day one of the World Series. Uh, game one of the World Series. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, uh, back to negative one. Back to, no. Yeah, negative one. I'm lousy at this quiz. I always end up with a negative. <laughs> Because he, there's a lot of quiz the, 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 the IPA, lot of quiz to go. The policy director job of the IPA is in safe hands, clearly. <laughs> All right, so uh, Pete's on zero, Pat's on zero, hasn't said a word yet, and Gideon <laughs> going is back on to my show. That's how we won last time. It's the Stephen Bradbury, Bradbury approach. Yeah. <laughs> um, All right, so question four: Who called the Australian bushfires God's punishment this week? Gideon. Pat. Gideon got there first. Uh, it was Israel Folau. It was indeed. So we're all tied up at zero. <laughs> Who are 
just a damning indictment on this quiz and everyone a part of it, and, and, including and myself. And tie, and question this week. And there is no tiebreaker question other than what the hell was wrong with all of you. Crikey. Uh, all right, uh, question five. Who are the two teams Australia will be facing um, in the Ruth. Test Match Cricket this summer? Ruth Seal. Ruth Seal. Uh, pa- Pakistan, New Zealand. Pakistan and New Zealand mm. is correct. Pete, back on the board. He's up to one and a potentially uh, one lead. insurmountable lead. Uh, who is rumoured to be stepping... Well, I think it's now confirmed. Who's stepping down from politics Gideon. at the end of the year? Gideon. Oh, Gideon got that? Yeah. I don't think anybody... I else didn't say that. That. <laughs> <laughs> Gideon interrupted his own... Yeah. yeah, yeah I, 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 I just got my like, buzzer wrong. Yeah, That's a new low for me. Um, no, uh, it is the very, very patriotic Corey Bernardi. He is indeed. Not Corey Jeremy Corbyn stepping loss. down. Jeremy Corbyn still in Australian politics. Uh, all right. Andrew Bushnell's new report on criminal justice compares public spending on police with that of prisons. Now, closest to it, no points off. How much are prisons costing Australian taxpayers every year? Closest to the pin. Closest to the pin. I'll go first. Go. Three billion. Three billion. Billion. Uh, One point four. One point four billion. This is the whole of Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say uh, two billion. <laughs> there are so many people that, that would have sailed over, but you're yeah. like, no, nah, I'm going to spell it out for him. No, uh, no. Did you say two billion. Loud and proud. Uh, what did you say, Pete? Three billion. Three billion is uh, the closest to it. It is four point six billion. Oh, there uh, you go. So go to ipa.org. Dot au to read that one. So Pete's on two, Gideon's on one. Pat still still has not answered a question. Uh, just waiting till the end. All right, the IPA's new film Beige Reef also available ipa.org.au, our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, anywhere. Uh, the IPA's new film Beige Reef shows that there is coral at an island where scientific journal Nature says there aren't any. What was the name of the Gideon. island? Pat Stone Island. Stone Island ah. is correct. Pat, you nearly finally got a question off, uh, but unfortunately not. Uh, what new Matt Damon and Christian Bale movie is number one at the Australian <laughs> box office right now? Oh. Uh, Ford vs Ferrari. Ford vs Ferrari. I have is no correct. idea what that is. Uh, well, I've heard about it's, it. Uh, it's about Fords and Ferraris. Yes. Really. And Matt, good synopsis. Yes. <laughs> now uh, doing, doing much better than Ghost. Uh, no, not Ghostbusters. What is it? Charlie's uh, Angels. Charlie's yeah. Angels. All right. Uh, so, who am I? Here we go. Getting on to Peter on to. Patrick on one. Everything to play for and everything to lose. Who am I? Five points. I delivered my most famous speech 156 years ago on Monday. I've got a sneaky suspicion that I know who this is. Yeah, I'm going to... I'm going to wait. Oh, here we go. Patrick, I'm trying to... Five-pointer. I'm trying to do the maths in my head. 2019 minus 156. 156. Far too hard. Do it on your phone. You can't use phones in this, can you? You can't use phones on this. Well, I mean, you're not going to Google it. Oh, yes, you are. (laughs) (laughs) Don't use your phone. Yeah, no, I've got nothing. Phones have Google now these days, Pete. (laughs) I can't keep up. The Motorola is gone. Snake. Uh, No, I've got nothing, mate. It's also a cricket game that's good. Is anyone going to have a go? Nah. Come on. Because I'm in front, aren't I? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not going to risk it. But I've got a, I've got a sneaky what, suspicion. What year would ma- uh, so do I. What year would it make it? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to work out. 2019, minus. My maths is always lousy. That's. 19, I'm just going to move on to the next one. Years. Uh, I was born in Kentucky and died aged 56 in Washington, D.C. Uh, Gideon. Pat. Gideon. Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Gideon, you are the winner this week. You get the crown. Uh, Pat. Um, He's going to get drunk with power here. The oh, yeah. in the ring again. Oh, well, <laughs> <I was laughs> All right. Uh, Gideon, we'll see you back next week. And uh, we got more show for you after this. All right, cool. Uh, that is it for the quiz. Now, we're just going to fly through some stuff that have made us laugh this week. And I'm going to start. Like, last week we debuted uh, Pete's, qui- Pete's, Pete's tweet. tweet. Yeah. Uh, did we hear back from Donald Trump? No, we didn't hear back from Donald Trump, but there was a lot of social media activity. Okay, good. Um, so, um, we should actually mention at this point, it's Peter J. Gregory. Peter J. Gregory 3. Peter J. Gregory 3. Yeah, the third two, person of it. Two people that got there before me, unfortunately. Uh, so Peter J. Gregory 3, if you want to follow Pete, because we did last week's segment then realised we forgot to mention the Twitter handle That's all right. in question. Uh, which can it. happen. It happens to the best of us. Yeah. And evidently the worst. Uh, all right. Uh, now, we want to start a new segment this week. Yeah. Uh, and this is segment. my brainchild. Yeah. And this is both the best thing I've ever done for this podcast and yeah. simultaneously the worst thing I've ever done for this podcast. Okay. Uh, you'll see what you want to see. It's a Rorschach test. Right, you'll either see the best moment of the podcast or you will unsubscribe in pure anger that this is where we've gone to. Yep. The segment's called Diddy Fart. Mm. And uh, people might have seen this clip all over Twitter. MSNBC are interviewing Eric Swalwell. Was uh, it? Eric Swalwell, yeah. Eric California Swalwell, Democrat. California Democrat. He ran for the Democratic nominee, didn't get it. And uh, he's being interviewed on day one of the impeachment inquiry. Yeah. And let's play the clip. And you decide whether we farted. Chris, so far, the evidence is uncontradicted that the president used taxpayer dollars to ask the Ukrainians to help him cheat an election. And the complaint that I've heard from Republicans... (laughs) 
I'm sorry. I swear, I swear on the most precious thing in my life. I swear on Peter Gregory's life oh, that I, I did nothing to edit that clip. That yeah. is as it went to air yeah. live. Look, that's right. And play look, it again. Let's just hear it one more time. Yeah, no, play it again. <laughs> play it again. Chris, so far the evidence is uncontradicted that the president used taxpayer dollars to ask the Ukrainians to help him cheat an election. And the complaint that I've heard from Republicans... Look, that's just a fart. I know we normally do, you know, you tune in for your razor-sharp political analysis and we've detoured into fart jokes, but that is a fart. And he should rerun for the presidency because everyone knows who he is now. Yeah, absolutely. It's like when Rudd went to a strip club. Yeah. People loved it. It does well. So he, he's guy. adamant that he didn't fart. People are saying he never mm. farted. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's people analysing the footage, analysing body movements. Uh, I mean, you can hear the pause. Yeah. He, he paused. And if for those watching, you can see... The expression in his face. He knows. He knows. He knows what just happened. So we'll keep. He's it. like, right, I'm not going to spend too much time on it because I, re- I could devote a three hour Joe Rogan podcast to the minutiae of this. Bolt did want to cancel all the other topics. Uh, so I think the uh, uh, first response is that yes, he did fart. That is the air position. Did he fart? This. Yes, he did. Yeah. Okay, cool. We can now move on to your regularly scheduled programming, <laughs> well, which I believe Pete involves uh, Malcolm Turnbull. Well, we have did he not- fart? No, we- I'm kidding. It, well, I'm not sure, but we had another we have another new segment, two yeah. new segments in a row. Slightly more highbrow, I hope. Uh, yeah, a little bit more. This is the Hillary Clinton slash Rambo Nothing Is Over Award. Saul made a cool thing for the segment. Saul, Ooh, I haven't seen this. Nothing is oh, over. Look at that. Nothing. You just don't turn it off. So that's Rambo with Hillary Clinton's face on it, as you can yep. tell if you're watching. Uh, <laughs> if you're listening, just imagine it. Yep. So it's new, and it's aimed at people that are struggling to let go of things that have happened in the past. Yes. Now, and Hillary Clinton being the patron saint of people like that. Exactly right. Now, former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull was on Christopher, Christopher Pine's podcast yep. called Pine Time, which is, good. which is a good name. Good name. Uh, good name. During the week, and Pine asked him this. Do you so, think we would have won the Prime Minister, the, the election, if you'd stayed as the Prime oh, Minister? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's not many people who doubt that. doubt that, actually. Yeah, I, I agree. There, there are a lot of people that doubt that. There are two people in the room currently that doubt that a whole lot. There are a lot of people that doubt that. Uh, for a start, Malcolm Turnbull lost 30 news polls in a row. Yeah. And I know we don't like polls, but we like polls that suit our argument. <laughs> so there's that. I was also um, just going to say, uh, Turnbull wouldn't have won. Just like, did you see how badly Labor did in the election? People yeah. didn't want those policies. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> people Not wouldn't have liked Turnbull. Turnbull. Yeah, exactly right. And if this is the great election of the quite, quite Australians, yeah. do you think that Malcolm, you know, man of the people, Turnbull, would have got the same amount of quite Australian votes? Exactly. So, uh, the other part of it is they go on later in the interview to talk about Malcolm Turnbull's legacy. And Malcolm says, uh, on his achievements as Prime Minister, Mr Turnbull nominated legislating same-sex marriage after the postal vote as his biggest... Uh, if your legacy is something that literally everyone hated, like even the pro camp of gay marriage were anti the fact that it needed a postal vote. Oh, like yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah. take some leadership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the anti camp were like, um, you know, why did we have the postal vote in the first place? Take some leadership. Yeah. Like if everyone's just like, dude, what's with the postal vote? Can't really be your best legacy. Yeah, yeah. And you can't like then previously go, and I would have won the election. You yeah. know the thing everyone hated? This guy, right here. I would have won. Yeah, no, exactly right. And so we'll keep you up to date with these because I mean, a lot of I'm politicians not, I'm struggle not gonna, to. I'm not going to keep listening to Pine Time. Oh, for people that are struggling yeah, to yeah, like, oh, yeah. I thought you said we're just going to keep you up to date on yeah. Pine Time happenings. And if anyone farts on TV again, we'll, we'll bring uh, that, you as well. <laughs> if anyone farts on Pine Time, I will listen to that episode in full. Yep. Uh, all right. Um, let us go now to. Ooh. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I nearly threw my notes across the room. Right, we A few minutes early. All right. Uh, my next one here. So, uh, Gideon Rosner got quoted in the Daily Mail. Uh, this week mm. on a story of someone in Geelong, I think it is, uh, is walking their dog and they get stopped by someone who works for the council saying, where's your plastic bag? Okay. Can often it happen? Uh, now, they point out that they've already used a plastic bag to clean up after their dog. Yeah. And uh, the person goes, so where's your second bag? Yeah. And because they didn't have a second bag, because apparently that's a thing, they were fined. Yeah. Uh, your thoughts, Pete? So I just want everyone to realise that you've gone from farts into dog poo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, look, my thoughts on I've that. I've got a brand and damn it, I'm going to stick to it. Gideon Rosner and Evan Mulholland, two of our people here at the IPA, absolutely yep. are making a living out of going on a current affair and the Daily Mail and stuff like that and saying, oh, I've had a gutful of yes. cancels. So on that score, I'm happy for those guys that they're able to do that again. Mm-hmm. And secondly, I'm a bit like, where does it end? 
What if your dog's eating something? <laughs> They're going to go a few times. Yeah. How many bags do you need? You need to leave the house with no less than 13 plastic bags. And also, there's some mixed messaging going on. Okay. Because I thought we were moving against single-use plastic bags, but apparently exactly the government right. wants you to bring even more plastic bags around with exactly you. So right. which one is it? These people, it's probably the same Where are we going to get these plastic bags? Yeah, exactly. They've probably, they've probably declared a climate emergency. Yep. And they've probably put out those garbage bins yep. that are clear so everyone can shame you for your rubbish. <laughs> yeah, and that's then, a thing. That's yeah. a thing. Uh so, yeah, no, I agree. Good All point. Right. Uh, and the other thing, like, from this council worker, the whole, like, where's your plastic bag? I already used it. But where's your second plastic bag? Is the greatest use of yeah, but still <laughs> in the history of the world. Yeah. yeah, but still is when you know you've been found out having a bad argument, but you just go, like, yeah, but still. Yeah. And yeah, but, like, this, where's your second bag? Is yeah. like, I know I'm wrong. You know I'm wrong. And I know you know that I'm wrong. Yeah. But damn it, I've already said it and I'm not backing down. I'm gonna quit. You're going to find, we're going to find you 200 bucks. Yes. Unfortunately for you, I'm the person with the power here and yep. I will stick to my yeah, but still. Exactly right. All right. Uh, last thing. Uh, so we need to talk about what's going around all oh, over the world. Now I've been looking forward to this. Uh, so Prince Andrew, we talked about it in the quiz very briefly. Prince Andrew gave a legendary interview to BBC Newsnight on his friendship with Jeffrey Epstein and... Uh, Electric television. 40, yeah. 46 minutes of the most electric television of the year is to watch this absolute buffering. <laughs> like just, ab you know, it was, it was just like, here's a statement. And then the interviewer would point out one thing that slightly, you know, just even slightly shows that that statement is incorrect. Mm. And it would be presenting a brand new statement mm. of excuses. Yeah. So Pete and I, uh, I reckon it's reverse order from least outrageous to most outrageous okay. moments from the interview. So what was your, uh, have you got four or three? I've got an. I've got, I've got three. Let's say I've got three. Right. Okay. I'll, uh, so I'll go. My least outrageous moment was when he says, uh, "That can't be me in the famous photo because uh, that's my travelling attire, not my going out." Attire. This is your least outrageous. That's my least outrageous moment. Yeah. Okay. Like, <laughs> that, amazing. Just yeah. like, well, it can't be me because, uh, you know, like all normal people, I have a travelling suit and a going out suit, yeah. and that's my travelling. I could. I could say that. Why true. would I be at a party? Yeah. Right. Uh, what was your least I outrageous? Least outrageous for me was Pizza Express in Workington. Least that was your least outrageous because these people have pizza gate is real apparently. Uh, they have like um, you know what is it called? Like protection from security guards from right. government, right? Yeah, security guards like spies, and they know exactly where they've been. So he would have had to have someone with him, and yes. that's probably true. I just thought. Like I just remember, like going to working is very uh, that's <laughs> out working. of the ordinary. Yeah. for me, like I don't know. Bizarre moment to yeah. just be like, well, actually, that very night I was at a pizza joint in Woking. Yeah, I know, I remember that. But he would have checked his diary. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, that was one of my. That was my second most outrageous. My next yeah, one was okay. uh, that can't be me because I don't hug or show affection in public. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've never hugged anyone in my life. Yeah. Despite all the photos that are out there of him hugging people at nightclubs. Yeah. It can't be me. I don't hug. Yeah. No. Nah, not I'm a hugger. Yeah. That's that's slowly getting worse. I would say now I'm just gonna pick my. Uh, so he said he went to Epstein's house to break up their friendship, which, yep. which is in itself, you know, a weird thing to do. Um, and he stayed for four days because it was convenient. Yep. And the bloke's eighth in line for the throne and yeah. he couldn't find anywhere else to stay in New, New York, York City. New York was booked out. Except for New York City was booked out except, except for, for Epstein's place. His mate who was a pedophile. Yeah. And, you know, it does take four whole days to go up to him hate and go I'm out yeah, <laughs> this yeah. is done I can't stay Four at the hostel days. the hostel's booked out so. <laughs> yeah, there's a bloke with a guitar and he won't yeah. get off my bed yeah. uh, my most outrageous moment that was a good one but my most outrageous moment was uh, that can't be me because I don't sweat yeah that's like right, what yeah. is that yeah. <laughs> that's an excuse yeah well, like, that is such an outrageous statement that I'm forced to believe that he doesn't actually sweat. Like, where does that even come from unless it's true? Like, yeah. How do you just sit there and go like, I reckon I can get away with the fact that I don't sweat? Because that's the one a lot of people have latched onto. Yeah. And apparently it's based on him being in the Falklands, yeah. which we talked about last like week. Like an overdose of adrenaline yeah. from getting shot well, at. Look, I'm no doctor. <laughs> Nor am I. But I'll tell you what, that ain't, that ain't that would true. actually make me sweat more. But anyway, look, who knows if that's true or not. Yeah, I like that's such an outrageous statement. That, yep. it's, that, that was the most electric part of the interview. Okay. All right. Uh, that is it for the show this yep. week. Uh, thank you to Senator James Patterson. Thank you to uh, Dr. Joe. 
Follow them both on Twitter. Uh, they're both doing really cool work. Mm. If you are listening to us on iTunes, make sure you're leaving us a five-star review. Yes. And uh, you can watch us as well. Your friends and family can watch us as well on the IPA YouTube channel and also the Young IPA Podcast YouTube channel. You can like that page, uh, subscribe for all of the stuff that doesn't make it to the, that doesn't get on the IPA uh, YouTube page. We're also available on Facebook Live as well. Is that it? That's I it. I always like to thank Saul for his work. Thanks, Saul. See you guys next week. See ya. <laughs>